0: "'floating on the water of his swimming pool. "'He listened, his cheek buried in his fist as I explained the project. "'It's a crazy idea,' he said. "'You get yourself killed fooling around down there.' "'But he could not hide his enthusiasm. "'I told him the South's racial situation was a blot on the whole country "'and especially reflected against us overseas.' and that the best way to find out if we had second-class citizens and what their plight was would be to become one of them. But it'll be terrible, he said. You'll be making yourself the target of the most ignorant rabble in the country. If they ever caught you, they'd be sure to make an example of you. He gazed out the window. His face puffed with concentration. But you know... It is a great idea. I can see right now you're going through with it. So what can I do to help? Pay the tab and I'll give Sepia some articles, or let you use some chapters from the book I'll write. He agreed, but suggested that before I made final plans, I discuss it with Mrs. Adele Jackson, Sepia's editorial director. Both of us have a high regard for this extraordinary woman's opinions she rose from a secretarial position to become one of the country's distinguished editors. After leaving Mr. Levitan, I called on her. At first, she thought the idea was impossible. You don't know what you'll be getting into, John, she said. She felt that when my book was published, I would be the butt of resentment from all the hate groups, that they would stop at nothing to discredit me, and that many decent whites would be afraid to show me courtesies when others might be watching. And, two, there are the deeper currents among even well-intentioned Southerners, currents that make the idea of a white man's assuming non-white identity a somewhat repulsive step down. And other currents that say, Don't stir up anything. Let's try to keep things peaceful. And then I went home and told my wife. After she recovered from her astonishment... She unhesitatingly agreed that if I felt I must do this thing, then I must. She offered as her part of the project her willingness to lead with our three children the unsatisfactory family life of a household deprived of husband and father. I returned at night to my barn office. Outside my open window, frogs and crickets made the silence more profound. A chill breeze rustled dead leaves in the woods. It carried an odor of fresh-turned dirt, drawing my attention to the fields where the tractor had only a few hours ago stopped plowing the earth. I sensed the radiance of it in the stillness. Sensed the earthworms that burrowed back into the depths of the furrows. Sensed the animals that wandered in the woods in search of nocturnal rut or food. I felt the beginning loneliness, the terrible dread of what I had decided to do. October thirtieth, 1959 Launched with Mrs. Jackson, Mr. Levitan, and three FBI men from the Dallas office. Though I knew my project was outside their jurisdiction and that they could not support it in any way, I wanted them to know about it in advance. We discussed it in considerable detail. I decided not to change my name or identity. I would merely change my pigmentation and allow people to draw their own conclusions. If asked who I was or what I was doing, I would answer truthfully. Do you suppose they'll treat me as John Howard Griffin, regardless of my color? Or will they treat me as some nameless Negro, even though I am still the same man? I asked. You're not serious, one of them said. They're not going to ask you any questions. As soon as they see you, you'll be a Negro. And that's all they'll ever want to know about you. November 1st, 1959. New Orleans, Louisiana. Arrived by plane as night set in. I checked my bags at the Hotel Monteleone in the French Quarter and began walking. Strange experience when I was blind I came here and learned cane walking in the French Quarter. Now the most intense excitement filled me as I saw the places I visited while blind. I walked miles, trying to locate everything by sight that I once knew only by smell and sound. The streets were full of sightseers. I wandered among them, entranced by the narrow streets, the iron grill balconies, the green plants and vines glimpsed in lighted flagstone courtyards. Every view was magical, whether it was a deserted lamplit street corner or the neon hubbub of Royal Street. I walked past garish bars where hawkers urged me in to see the gorgeous girls do their hip-shaking, and they left the doors open sufficiently to show dim, smoke-blue interiors crossed by long rays of pink spotlights that turned the semi-nude girl's flesh rose. I strolled on. Jazz blared from the bars. Odors of old stone and creole cooking and coffee filled the streets. At Broussard's, I had supper in a superb courtyard under the stars. Huitre varier, green salad, white wine and coffee. The same meal I had there in past years. I saw everything. The lanterns, the trees, the candlelit tables, the little fountain, as though I were looking through a fine camera lens. "'surrounded by elegant waiters, elegant people, and elegant food, "'I thought of the other parts of town where I would live in the days to come. "'Was there a place in New Orleans where a Negro could buy wheat vallee?' "'At ten, I finished dinner and went to telephone an old friend who lives in New Orleans. "'He insisted I stay at his house, and I was relieved, "'for I foresaw all sorts of difficulties staying in a hotel.' while I turned into a Negro. November 2nd, 1959 In the morning I called the Medical Information Service and asked for the names of some prominent dermatologists. They gave me three names. The first one I called gave me an appointment immediately, so I took the streetcar to his office and explained my needs. He had had no experience with such a request, but was willing enough to aid me in my project. After taking my case history, he asked me to wait while he consulted with some of his colleagues by phone as to the best method of darkening my skin. After some time, he stepped back into the room and said they had all agreed we should attempt it with a medication taken orally, followed by exposure to ultraviolet rays. He explained they used it on victims of vitiligo, a disease that causes white spots to appear in the face and body. Until this medication was discovered, the victims of this disease had had to wear pancake makeup when they went out in public. It could be dangerous to use, however. It usually took from six weeks to three months to darken the skin pigmentation. I told him I could not spare that much time, and we decided to try accelerated treatments with constant blood tests to see how my system tolerated the medication. I got the prescription filled. "'returned to the house and took the tablets. Two hours later I exposed my entire body to ultraviolet rays from a sun lamp. "'My host remained away from the house most of the time. "'I told him I was on an assignment that I could not discuss "'and that he should not be surprised if I simply disappeared without saying goodbye. "'I knew that he had no prejudices.' but I nevertheless did not want to involve him in any way since reprisals might be taken against him by bigots or by his associates who might resent his role as my host once my story became known. He gave me a key to his house and we agreed to maintain our different schedules without worrying about the usual host-guest relationship. After supper, I took the trolley into town and walked through some of the Negro sections in the South Rampart Dryad Street sections. They are mostly poor sections with cafes, bars, and businesses of all sorts alongside cluttered residences. I searched for an opening, a way to enter the world of the Negro, some contact, perhaps. As yet it was a blank to me. My greatest preoccupation was that moment of transition when I would pass over. Where and how would I do it? To get from the white world into the negro world is a complex matter. I looked for the chink in the wall through which I might pass unobserved. November 6th For the past four days, I had spent my time at the doctor's or closed up in my room with cotton pads over my eyes, and the sun lamp turned on me. They had made blood tests twice. And found no indication of damage to the liver. But the medication produced lassitude, and I felt constantly on the verge of nausea. The doctor, well disposed, gave me many warnings about the dangers of this project in so far as my contact with negroes was concerned. Now that he had had time to think, he was beginning to doubt the wisdom of this course, or perhaps he felt strongly his responsibility. In any event, He warned me that I must have some contact in each major city so my family could check on my safety from time to time. "'I believe in the brotherhood of man,' he said. "'I respect the race. "'But I can never forget when I was an intern and had to go down on South Rampart Street to patch them up. Three or four would be sitting in a bar or at a friend's house.' They were apparently friends one minute, and then something would come up and one would get slashed up with a knife. We're willing enough to go all the way for them, but we've got this problem. How can you render the duties of justice to men when you're afraid they'll be so unaware of justice they may destroy you, especially since their attitude toward their own race is a destructive one? He said this with real sadness. I told him my contacts indicated that Negroes themselves were aware of this dilemma, and they were making strong efforts to unify the race, to condemn among themselves any tactic or any violence or injustice that would reflect against the race as a whole. I'm glad to hear that, he said, obviously unconvinced. He also told me things that Negroes had told him, that the lighter the skin... "'the more trustworthy the Negro. "'I was astonished to see an intelligent man fall for this cliché "'and equally astonished that Negroes would advance it. "'For in effect it placed the dark Negro in an inferior position "'and fed the racist idea of judging a man by his color. "'When not lying under the lamp, "'I walked the streets of New Orleans to orient myself. Each day I stopped at a sidewalk shoe shine stand near the French market. The shine boy was an elderly man, large, keenly intelligent, and a good talker. He had lost a leg during World War I. He showed none of the obsequiousness of the southern negro, but was polite and easy to know. Not that I had any illusions that I knew him, for he was too astute to allow any white man that privilege. I told him I was a writer, touring the Deep South to study living conditions, civil rights, etc., but I did not tell him I would do this as a Negro. Finally, we exchanged names. He was called Sterling Williams. I decided he might be the contact for my entry into the Negro community. November 7th I had my last visit with the doctor in the morning. The treatment had not worked as rapidly or completely as we had hoped, but I had a dark undercoating of pigment which I could touch up perfectly with stain. We decided I must shave my head, since I had no curl. The dosage was established, and the darkness would increase as time passed. From there, I was on my own. The doctor showed much doubt, and perhaps regret, that he had ever cooperated with me in this transformation. Again, he gave me many firm warnings and told me to get in touch with him any time of the day or night if I got into trouble. As I left his office, he shook my hand and said gravely, Now you go into oblivion. A cold spell had hit New Orleans, so that lying under the lamp that day was a comfortable experience. I decided to shave my head that evening and begin my journey. In the afternoon... My host looked at me with friendly alarm. I don't know what you're up to, he said, but I'm worried. I told him not to be and suggested I would probably leave sometime that night. He said he had a meeting, but would cancel it. I asked him not to. I don't want you here when I go, I said. What are you going to do, be a Puerto Rican or something? he asked. Something like that, I said. There may be ramifications. I'd rather you didn't know anything about.